You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the B&H app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Today we're going to be talking weather photography with extreme weather photographers on two continents. First, we're going to be speaking with Jim Reed here in the States. And after a short break, we're going to be joined by Jordan Cantello in Western Australia. But first, we have two big announcements. This Sunday, August 4th at 6 p.m., we're going to be hosting a screening of the Jay Maisel documentary, Jay Myself, made by the incredible Stephen Wilkes. We still have tickets to give away, so if you'll be in New York this Sunday evening and want a ticket, email us at podcast at bhphoto.com or check the B&H Photography Podcast Facebook group and request your seat. Second, we are excited to unofficially announce the B&H Photography Podcast Panasonic Lumix S1 Sweepstakes. As far as the details go, I can't spill the beans yet, but what I can tell you is that we're going to be having some amazing, awesome prizes from Panasonic and that the official announcement for this sweepstakes is coming very soon, so stay tuned. That said, on with the show. Our first guest today is Jim Reed. He's a photographer and filmmaker best known for his coverage of extreme weather. Jim is represented by the National Geographic Image Collection, and his work has been published in National Geographic Magazine, The New York Times, Scientific American, and The Guardian. His work has also been featured on The Weather Channel, The Discovery Channel, and Oprah. Jim is the author of the critically acclaimed 2007 photo book, Storm Chaser, A Photographer's Journey, which was published by Abrams in New York. Welcome, Mr. Reed. Hi, how are you? We're doing good. How are you doing today? Absolutely great. Wonderful. Well, we have a list of questions here. And let's start off with, you spend a lot of time shooting in Tornado Alley in the U.S. Uh, This might be uh, kind of an obvious question, but considering the speed and unpredictability of these tornadoes, especially these days, how dangerous is it as a photographer? Is it getting worse? Have you ever been injured? And can you discuss your safety precautions? Well, like any other extreme activity that involves risk, the more you know and uh, the better gear you have, uh, the better trained you are, uh, the lower your risk. I've only been hurt a couple of times, and that's really because of uh, two car crashes in which uh, the other drivers uh, collided with me. And I did break my nose in Hurricane Katrina, and, you know, I've, I've sprained ankles and thumbs, but the kind of stuff you would do on normal shoots. <laughs> okay, let's discuss the word normal. No, like shoot. <laughs> and is that just because of the chaos of the moment and people are, are, you know, kind of panicking and driving a little crazy? Or was it something that, you know, literally the, the wind or the water started throwing cars around? Great, great question. The, the two that hit me uh, were out in the elements. And uh, one was a, a a gentleman in his 90s who was having a medical emergency and just oh. ran a red light and just took me out. Uh, the other was uh, on the opposite end of the scale, I think a teenager who had just learned to drive and it was a snowstorm in Montana. Okay. Perfect combination. All right, so that takes us a <laughs> bit away from tor- <laughs> Tornado Alley. There's a third person out there. <laughs> One of my biggest concerns today is the, the number of people that are out in the field in their cars, their pickups, you know, in some cases, their campers. And 
it has become a true American phenomena and it's, it's getting in the way of scientists. It's getting in the way of emergency management and it's, it's making it more dangerous for veterans like myself because the roads are clogged and, you know, you have all these cars trying to turn around in this one, uh, intersection and, uh, this year in particular, we had collisions and, uh, that's not a good thing. And you're talking about folks who are out there trying to get photos themselves, amateurs or, or yeah, amateurs, people who said, wow, there's a, there's a tornado over there. Let's get a photo of it. Yeah, it's, it's a combination. We've noticed that, that, uh, first and foremost, the number of chasers that go out of their way to go to a certain target, they'll come even from other countries. They'll come from out of state. Uh, those are the ones that, you know, are putting a lot of time and energy into it and may do it on a regular basis. Uh, what we're seeing is a lot of people in the local areas will hear stuff on the radio or they'll look at their smartphones. They'll see that, you know, this chaser is out there or that chaser is out there and uh, they they get in their car and head out. Hmm. Is it because photography is easier or is it just because we're all on social media? Um, what's causing this? I mean, just as a little as a side before you answer that, I recently saw a sign that may or may not have been a spoof, and it said, in case of fire, leave the building before posting it on social media. <laughs> and it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad, and that's kind of what you're talking about here. Am I right or wrong? You're, you're right, and I, I certainly take evacuation seriously, but you've got a great point. Social media has had a big influence on storm chasing. Uh, people can now uh, use social media and their smartphones to hear where other veteran, very skilled chasers are going. So they think all I need to do is, you know, follow them. Uh, when in fact, that's very dangerous because they're going to, there may be a lot of rain, hail, you're going to get lost. And the next thing you know, the hail's taking out your windshield or worse, there's a tornado in the rain and your car's getting flipped. Well, is there a such thing as a safe vehicle for doing this? Because it seems to me these storms are so monstrous that I, I don't care what you're driving, you're, you're being taken away. Am I right or wrong? Well, you, you're right. It's, it's, it's a good question. Um, many people have probably seen you know, the TIV, which is called the Tornado Intercept Vehicle. There's the Dominator 1, the Dominator 2, the 3. They all look like kind of miniature tanks. I've seen some pretty crazy designs out there. Um, and yes, those tend to be so heavy that they can stay in place longer than your average vehicle. Now, my opinion is there's always going to be that one storm, that one tornado that will get you. And so it's, it's a, it's a risk to benefit ratio. Do you want to take this risk right now or not? Personally, I like to keep it simple. I drove a 1994 Ford Explorer for 16 years. I'm still in an SUV, but um, I don't even have anything covering the windows uh, to uh, protect from hail because I try to stay out of the way. I still get hit sometimes, but I like it. I like keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. How predictable are these storms? I mean, uh, everyone's talking about the, you know, they take all these safety precautions and stuff, but we're dealing with something that really does not follow rules. That's correct. Uh, no storm that I've ever encountered uh, completely goes by the rules. And in some cases, you know, I've had a tornado twice. Granted, it was a weaker landspout tornado, but it changed directions and, and ended up chasing us. So we had to be ready for that. Uh, this year alone, we had a, a tour group get caught inside a rain wrap tornado uh, and 
that tornado uh, prompted another tornado, which flipped their van. So there's always going to be that chance that you're going to get a curveball. Mm. And now just to jump back, that tourist group was out to check out the tornadoes or they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time? Well, uh, first of all, tour groups have been around for a very long time. And there, there are some that have uh, very skilled meteorologists on board. Uh, the gear that you need to uh, monitor radar mm-hmm. and, and to keep you as safe as possible. Uh, the van that was hit uh, earlier this season, it's my understanding, uh, and from the video I've seen, uh, they, they could not see that coming. That it it was embedded within heavy rain, and it was just bad timing. Uh, that's a very experienced group that I know, which sends a signal. If it can happen to somebody that experienced, then you are vulnerable. And mm-hmm. also, I'm sorry to say that we lost uh, a couple of really uh, terrific guys and 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 a couple of the best in the business a few years ago when the El Reno tornado became so large that you had like vortices within the tornado spinning around uh, that hit their vehicle and killed them. Wow. Wow. Well, we're talking here about more about tornadoes and, and obviously you, you photograph all kinds of situations, all kinds of weather, floods and, and snowstorms. But are there kind of a, a general set of precautions that you would you can kind of list here that would that we can kind of pass on to our listeners things that that you do or don't do when it comes to tornadoes it is bnh selling uh you know uh, <laughs> like a human uh, cage thing that's around them or uh, we sell anchors stays. for ships uh, <laughs> <laughs> and chains Sorry, didn't, mean to, didn't mean to blow out your ears there uh, <laughs> chains <laughs> um Good question because uh, I'm I emphasize safety because I, I think if you're going to do a skilled job and walk away with whether it's a photograph you want or it's video you want or it's an experience you want, uh, I'm much more respectful uh, of the people that take the time and care to learn about the subject, understand you know what what creates a cloud, what creates lightning, what creates a rainbow, what creates a tornado. Learn as much about your subject as you can. That's mm. respect. Yeah. That's, That's pretty much the rule for anything in photography. If you're doing even portraiture, you want to know about the person you're photographing just to establish a rapport. Now, obviously, there's a limit to how much you can get to know a storm. Um, what are some of the basic ground rules that you have before you head into these situations? We talk about taking precautions. What are these precautions? The precautions that I normally take are, uh, you know, reviewing the developing situation first, being online. I know how to read computer forecast models. I pay attention days in advance so that by the time there's actually a threat that day or that afternoon, I feel like I've been watching that uh, potential setup for quite some time. And then I've, I always make sure my vehicle's in good working order it may sound kind of crazy, but it's amazing how many people are out there who have bad wipers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm always, you know, like make sure you've got good wipers. Make sure you're, you've got proper inflation in your tires. The bottom line is you want a reliable vehicle that's going to be able to get you there and get you out in case of danger. Um, I make sure my cell phone's charged and and uh, that my my iPhone is 
has the apps and the contacts that I need. The bottom line is you want to make sure you're doing all this in advance. Uh, I kind of liken it to uh, a friend of mine, mountain climbs. And once you're halfway up the mountain, you don't want to be thinking about, boy, did I bring the right food or, you know, do I have enough batteries? Mm-hmm. All that needs to be done in the prep. Do you, you, do you wear anything uh, as far as protective gear, helmets or anything of that sort? Because you could get bounced around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it got to a point covering hurricanes where there was so much flying debris or surprise flying debris that my colleagues and I started wearing helmets. So I, if I'm documenting a uh, major hurricane or maybe even a non-major hurricane, I'll, I'll usually have a helmet. Uh, some people will put a helmet on uh, to, to jump out of the car to take pictures uh, to avoid being hit in the head by large hail. Uh, I don't do that. I just, if there's really large hail, I stay in the vehicle. Hmm. Interesting. Um, you'd mentioned apps a couple seconds ago. Is there any apps you can, you can mention that, that you rely on? Oh, uh, and I'm not, uh, full disclosure, I'm not uh, sponsored or, or paid to mm-hmm. say this, but, but my, uh, favorite go-to app is probably radar scope. You mentioned social media earlier. Uh, well also the apps today are, are fantastic. First and foremost, there's no reason a person should be caught off guard. We, we, we should not be hearing, I didn't see it coming, or I didn't hear it coming, I didn't know about it. With today's technology, social media, apps, so forth, you can get the information reliably. I like Radar Scope. I like uh, some of the free apps uh, that you can get through the National Weather Service. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity, and I would recommend your listeners go to Google and just kind of look around, see what... Uh, fits mm-hmm. them. Right, right. How many screens do you have open when you're out there working or, 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 or is your phone tuned into things? Uh, because obviously you can't be too distracted, but you want to have more than one source of information, I would imagine. That's a great question. Um, I've simplified over the years. Uh, well, actually, it's interesting because I started out very simple. Uh, I'm old enough to say <laughs> that when I started doing this, uh, I had an atlas. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the kind you open up, it's page by page, and even occasionally a map that you actually had to unfold and fold back again. Which was a triple-A triptych? <laughs> One of those? Yes, triple-A triptych. Yeah, only they wouldn't tell me where to go. <laughs> Liability issues. Um, but, uh, yeah, I used to use a, a fold-out map and a no-weather radio, which ran on a transistor battery, and that was it. And then I started meeting people who knew a lot more about this than I do. And they're the ones who taught me. Uh, the National Weather Service has a spotter program every season or every storm season that, that you can go to. Uh, but I was also befriended by a number of the best in the business. And, and I really owe it to them for what they taught me. And then all of a sudden, I, I found that I was like packing, you know, a laptop and, and I had a pedestal and I had a, a you know, a, a a screen uh, blockers so we could look in there without the sun bothering us. And I was bringing not one, but five tripods and mm-hmm. this and this and this. And it got to the point where, you know, I thought we were going to have to pull over and get weighed at the way station. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me, while we're here, actually, maybe we could, we can ask you a little bit about the gear that you do use right now. I mean, what's your camera setup? What lenses do you rely on? What do you, uh, what do you have as a backup? What do you bring with you? Right now, I'm using the Nikon uh, Z6 mm-hmm. uh, with primarily. I, I'm I'm a big fan of the 24 to 70, and uh, I get asked frequently, you know, if I could only take 
one lens out into the field, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And I would have to say it's a 24 to 70. Okay. Uh, next, I would probably go with something like a 14 millimeter or something close to that. And then if you can afford the space and, and you, you can get the lens, I would go like probably a, a 70 to 200. Okay. Those three lenses right there will cover you uh, quite comfortably out in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I carried a lot more uh, in the past because I really almost like a painter having all these different paintbrushes. I wanted choices, right. but I've really, I've really simplified it these days. Well, let me ask then if I, if I can here, I mean, you've shot, um, all for many years, all kinds of storms, all kinds of situations. How do you consider when you're going out to catch a photo, do you consider yourself uh, a news photographer trying to get that shot that'll kind of tell the story of the day? Or are you thinking longer term? You're thinking about Is it scientific? Are you thinking about fine art? You're thinking about books? Absolutely. All of the above. Right. Uh, okay, yeah. it, it, when, I, when I got started and people started paying attention to what I was creating, I thought, okay, I'm going to be able to maybe make a side living off of this based on either fine art editorial or commercial. And I was doing it long before the movie Twister and long before people were even talking about climate change. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden there was a need for this. And I found myself working with Sigma and Getty and and Corbis uh, and and the big publishers. And and every category had a demand. Uh, Now it's not so much because you have a lot of people out there with these smartphones with very capable cameras. And so John Q. Public... Uh, many times we'll get the shot before I can. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to focus these days on fine art. I see. What What is the most visually stunning or, or dramatic kind of storms you could photograph? Because I imagine some of the most violent storms may not be as photographable because of the fact that there is nothing, the visibility is so low and all the other environment things. So what what's the most visually appealing storms for you? This is important for people to know as well. And th- this is what can get a lot of uh, uh, non-skilled chasers in trouble is that they don't always know what they're looking at. And how many times have we heard that, you know, people on the interstate, you know, drive into what they thought was just this big cloud when in fact it's a rain wrapped tornado. Um, Some of the most dramatic looking tornadoes, uh, including the one uh, that I run up to are a low end tornado that allows me to do that. So, but people think I'm crazy because I'm running up to this really dramatic looking tornado when in fact the wind speeds inside it, are, or it could be as little as 50 miles per hour. So, you know, it, it, it really, that's one of the things I love about this. I'm, I learn something new every season and, and this year, um, it was kind of a lackluster storm season in my opinion. It was not producing the opportunities for me like I wanted. Number one. I don't want to be anywhere near a city and and on a big day where people are going to get hurt. If I know that, I don't want to go. I want to be out in the wide open, even where perhaps there's not a farm field that can be affected. It's just a wide open, vacant field. And to try and time it so that I can catch a storm as close to sunset as possible and to have that sun visible so that you have these colors and you have these textures and you have these shapes uh, with as few people in the shots as possible. And that's another problem with with today's uh, being you know out in the field is there's so many chasers these days that good luck getting a shot that number one everybody else isn't getting and two you've got all these vehicles in the picture. You mentioned about sunsets. Do 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 these storms pop up randomly or are they more common at different times of day? 
most most storms will form in the afternoon, and that's uh-huh. because it goes off of the heating. Right. You, the sun comes out, it heats up the ground, you have warm air that rises, turns into clouds, and then if you have the right uh, wind elements, uh, the wind shear and, and the jet streams just in the right place, it gets these thunderstorms to uh, rise and then turn. Uh, in my experience, most during the afternoon, but that's one of the things that I think we're seeing in climate change. We're seeing violent tornadoes now take place in the middle of the night, which didn't used to be a normal thing. So that says to me that there's energy in the atmosphere, even at times that we didn't used to have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In your bio, you, de- you know, describe your work as a, well, a 29-year project to document climate change and its impact on the United States. Um, are there other trends you can talk to uh, talk about regarding climate change and, and, and your work specifically? And, I mean, do you consider yourself... I mean, is this... Again, this kind of gets back to the definitions that we talked about earlier and and fine art or news. Do you consider your work to be any kind of activist work uh, or at least letting people know what's out there? And yeah, then I have a follow-up great, question. Yeah. Sure, another great question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. Uh, my assignments vary. So uh, there may be one day where I'm uh, working editorially specifically for a newspaper or a magazine there may be another day where I'm out shooting for a client who wants fine art. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be another day where I'm out there uh, actually guiding uh, someone else to a storm, like uh, back when they did the uh, motion picture um, the day after tomorrow. The special effects team hired me to take them into a couple of hurricanes. So it's it's like I get to mix it up, which That's has been a real it's been a real pleasure. Now, having said that, it's 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 tougher for me to encourage people to go out and do this because making a living at it just isn't what it used to be. Because you know, uh, a, a lot of the clients are now getting their images for free, you know, via social media and Twitter and Facebook, and 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 the cameras, the smartphones are so uh, much better these days that it's really quite competitive. Right. So regarding the issue of climate change, I mean, are there th- other things that you have noticed? Uh, is it kind of part of the project to uh, to note the differences and the changes that you're seeing over the years and document them and, and put them out for people to, to see? Well, it, it's interesting. What got me involved was an ice storm back in 1978, uh, toppled over two or three of my favorite trees in our backyard. And, and as a kid, when you see physical evidence of something happening, at least with me, it sticks with me. It wasn't enough to inspire me to become a scientist, but I loved looking through a viewfinder. And so it was just a matter of time before my love for weather and interest in weather and photography uh, merged. Now, I kind of, friends call me kind of like the man in the field. Uh, I can't talk to you about climate change or weather uh, as a scientist, but I can tell you what I have seen over the years. And 29 years is quite a few years. And and generally speaking, I've seen storms uh, form uh, faster, including hurricanes. Uh, I've seen tornadoes get larger. And when I say larger, I mean, you know, two, two and a half miles wide. Um, I've also seen a number of people being affected by extremes, uh, you know, either it's a state Mm -hmm. that's, it's used to having snow and that season there's no snow or it's a place that never gets snow and, and, and has a record number of inches Mm -hmm. and, and, and people can 
draw their own conclusions, but there's a lot of change going on. And I, I, I want to also encourage people to realize there's a difference between weather and climate change. Yeah. And climate change is looking at the big picture. And, and what I've learned is, it, it, you know, you can have extreme colds as well as extreme heat. So don't be fooled by saying, oh, well, what happened to global warming? It's, it's you know, record cold season. It's, it's back and forth. It's all about being out of balance. I've been very lucky to work with uh, a number of scientists and climatologists and oceanographers and biologists. And, you know, I've been I've ridden in the radar trucks. I've I've been out in the field as they're launching balloons. And I've learned so much from just watching them do that. And, and I feel very lucky that they let me in. So here's a question for hey, you. I'll let you know a little secret, though. It, 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 this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but it's, it's the honest God truth. I don't like getting wet. <laughs> I, never, I never have. So I will go out of my way to uh, come at a storm and, and intercept a storm, interpret a storm where I stay dry. Yeah. And, and I used to do it out of comfort. And then it really helped my photography because I, I could get better shots if I wasn't being rained on. Yeah, no, I can imagine. <laughs> so on that, sa- on that same line of thought, now, how many times have you found yourself in a situation where that little voice in the back of your head goes, Jim, what were you thinking when you set out to do this today? Uh, I, I, I think I thought that on day one. <laughs> <laughs> there have to be times when you just say to yourself, this is a little bit too intense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Hurricane Charlie back in 2004 caught my meteorology uh, partner, uh, Greg Zamarippa, and myself off guard. We thought it was going to be a Category 2 going into Tampa, and it turned out to be almost a Category 5 going into the Punta Gorda area. And that that was like – it felt like being attacked because – it, it, it moved forward faster. The wind speeds were greater. It was no longer fun. I mean, it, it was violent. Mm. And, and so that was, uh, was actually the only time I can think of where I, I videotaped a goodbye to my mom because I thought with the cars rolling and the trees coming out of the ground, we weren't going to make it. Well, the cars were literally rolling. The cars were literally, I mean, they were, you know, slowly rolling, but they were rolling. I mean, it's okay. it just like, I should not be seeing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 I get it. Well, I have a quick question. I mean, some of your work, and well, let me, let me have two questions. Like, you're in a situation like that, and, you know, it's becoming dangerous, you're getting concerned. Is the camera down, or are you at that point looking for photos still? And when you're in the thick of it, what kind of photos are you looking for, those kind of, you know, classic tree benders and, and signs flying away, or is it more about just uh, protecting yourself and looking for that beautifully composed one shot that may be there? Well, I think it's a matter of instinct, and also, quite bluntly, I think it's flight or fight. Mm. Uh, in, in Charlie, I was holding, gosh, what was I shooting back? Back then, it was probably a D100. Um, I once I started hearing things crashing and pieces of walls from houses were bouncing by us, mm-hmm. um, that's when I went, you know, damn, the, the, this is a, this is okay. Put the, put this down, grab the video camera. <laughs> and, and I started, cause I, I think it's important to be skilled enough to know when motion is going to be more impactful than still. And then sometimes stills 
will be more impactful than motion. That's and in this point. case, things were falling, you know, they were being torn apart and bouncing. And, and, and I, I got behind that camera and I got to tell you, I was terrified. I thought, this is it. We're, we're about to die, mm-hmm. but by God, I'm going to videotape my death. <laughs> videotape it. <laughs> and, and so, uh, it That's gave me this professional. Art- totally. <laughs> this, this gave me my artificial confidence. And then I finally got hit in the back of the head by something and I just went down to the ground uh, and, and then got underneath the vehicle and Greg had got underneath the vehicle as well. And the, the Explorer was still running. So when he got up underneath the vehicle, oh, uh, his, his back pushed up against the muffler and he got a pretty nasty burn off Ooh, of that. He also, uh, he also got a, a, an impaled knee. Uh, I, I forgot a piece of wood or something. So it was not, it was, it was bad, right. but we made it. You right. don't turn your vehicles off as I is, I'm assuming. Is that correct? You know, generally, Generally, no. Um, I was trained not to turn off my vehicle because uh, if there's a time where, for whatever reason, it doesn't want to restart, that could put you in a jam. Right. And and I've had that happen. But um, generally, I always leave it running if it's kind of a run and gun situation. And usually on days where we're talking about hurricanes and tornadoes and, 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 uh, severe activity, uh, I may only have a minute outside of the vehicle. So it makes sense to just leave it running, jump inside, move to the next location, jump out and so forth. Uh, if I'm out there by myself and photographing a spectacular sunset or a phenomena like sun dogs or rainbows or iridescence, I'll probably turn it off because I like peace and quiet. So it's nice, it's nice to stand there and hear the coyotes in the background or the frogs and 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 while I'm photographing this the, these incredible phenomena. Do you use a tripod? It sounds like you're doing a lot of handheld. I used to use a tripod all the time. I I I believe that you know, it was important to make that extra effort. Uh, it, it it showed that you were a pro, and yes, in most cases, it added the stability that would help make it a sharper shot. Now, having said that, the vibration reduction elements in, in the Nikon equipment I use have become so good that I haven't had to use a tripod as much. I still do. But uh, in the days where I was shooting lightning on a regular basis, uh, I would use a mount, a window mount. I think it was a, a Kirk or something like right, that that folded right. out and a great window mount. Mm-hmm. And um, now I use, like I said, now I use both. When I was shooting uh, the you know the May eighth tornado, or I was shooting Hurricane Katrina, that was a lot of handheld. There's just no time to go. Okay, hang on a second, storm. The footage that you take, I mean, do you you return home and you're immediately looking for an outlet for this material? I imagine is that kind of your thought process? What what do you do with that footage? And I'm talking about video now specifically, not a photo. Who actually? Uh, shows my work has changed over the years. Uh, when I was first getting started, you know, I was taking the pictures, uh, and then submitting them to more than likely an agency. Mm -hmm. And then they would, they would distribute them uh, worldwide. Uh, I kept getting on one good storm after another. So I had editors saying to me, Hey, have you ever thought about shooting video? So we finally started shooting video. And I say, we, meaning I, I try to chase with a partner as often as possible, or at least I did back in, in, in the more active days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we would shoot video and then again, uh, very lucky, got some pretty good storms with pretty dramatic footage. And I'm, and then I would come back or get on the phone right then and there and say, Hey, 
are you interested in license, licensing this? Um, we've got some pretty good stuff. Now, what's really changed marketing-wise is back in those days, and I'm talking about eh, 2003, 4, 5, you, you you could get the shot and be the only one to get that shot. And, and now it's the chances are somebody else has got it too. So it's, it's a race to the phone. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of the feeling I had. Yeah. yeah. So that, but that's kind of the process then it is kind of a race to the phone. If you have something that you really think is worth getting out there. Now it's funny because I, I used to uh, send out, I, I, you know, I've got a Rolodex of, of media people that I've worked with for years and like any other good, business if if you're you know reasonably polite uh, a, a good um, business person in terms of like meeting deadlines returning calls they'll come back to you time and time again mm. and and so uh, I've been lucky to work with everybody from all the major networks to the 700 club to <laughs> you know right. it's amazing who's out there right and, and everyone wants this kind of stuff I imagine or a lot of people do well they, they, they do but now again social media they can what, sure. what they typically do is they monitor Twitter, they monitor Facebook and anything else that they like. This is the media, of course. And then they'll they'll send a message to that person saying like, hey, uh, may we have your permission to use that clip? Uh, we'll give you credit, of course. Right, right, so, right. so the days of licensing stuff for a lot of money uh, may be short-lived. Yeah. Uh, I will say I, I gave heads up to my media people before Katrina – and nobody really seemed to want to have it covered or they weren't quite sure what it was going to do. And then after we covered it, uh, my uh, partner on that one, Mike Tice and I were at ground zero where the, the 27 foot, you know, storm surge came in, in Gulfport, Mississippi, and we're basically the only ones who got it. Oh, wow. And so that was, that was, a we made a lot off of that because there was a bidding process that went on. Um, yeah. Don't you just love bidding processes, I tell you. They're the best. A quick question, uh, Aguirre. Do you use a particular um, remote for lightning? Uh, I used to just use uh, a remote cord uh, or the bulb setting on my camera. I recommend getting a lightning trigger. They, they can cost anywhere from roughly 200 to $400. Uh, the one I used was the lightning trigger, uh, sold by a gentleman in Colorado. And, and it helped me a lot, especially photographing lightning during the daytime or, uh, dusk mm -hmm. or even dawn. Um, one thing I like to do that I don't hear a lot of people talk about is I love photographing during the twilight, uh, um, periods, and also during the, uh, the the dawn in the morning. Jimmy, you use the phrase uh, chasers a lot. Um, do you consider yourself a storm chaser? And how would you distinguish a storm chaser from uh, a severe weather photographer or a news photographer or any other definition that you may have uh, used to, to describe yourself over the years? I prefer to be called a weather photographer. Mm -hmm. Then... Uh, extreme weather photographer. Okay. If you like, um, you know, I don't prefer storm chaser, which is why that's the title of my book. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> <laughs> it does um, sound good. But yeah. it's, what, what you've asked a really good question. And, and what I'd like to share, you know, uh, with your audience is in my experience, uh, extreme weather photography, weather photography is far more about intercepting, 
um, uh, recognizing conditions that will become favorable for providing you with that photo opportunity. It's, it's going out, it's being out before the watch is ever issued. Mm. It's having radar and watching the first storm go up. It's, it's not as common as just like, uh, chasing something. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's the phrase that's been used since the 1950s. And I think it's going to be hard to, to change. And, and quite frankly, if it helps communicate people and I, I excite them into wanting to learn more about the weather and climate change and, and get an app that will help keep them safe, then I'm all for it. I didn't have a chance to say it earlier, but I'm, I'm starting to focus more on fine art. Um, you know, next year is the last year of my project, but I will continue to take pictures. Uh, and I, I'm getting back to writing. I really enjoy writing uh, at times as much as photography. But one thing that, that occurred almost by accident is I, I now have um, – celebrities, high-end clients coming to me and say, hey, well, will you take me storm chasing? Will you take me out to see a supercell? Or I've always wanted to see a storm at sunset. Right. Uh, so that may be a new venue that I, I do is is pick and choose and almost become like a mountain climbing guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you guys familiar with Pete Souza, the, yeah, the former? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, he hired me to take him storm chasing this year. Oh, well. And so, but Pete and I got on the phone and we talked about, you know, what he wanted to see and equally important, what he didn't want to see. Mm. And so we're very similar in that respect. And, uh, this was a season that did not produce the, uh, setup that we wanted. And, uh, one, uh, tornado researcher once taught me, it's as important to know when not to go out in the field as it is when to go. And I was very disappointed because, John, that's why I kept stalling. I thought, this will be great. I'll take Pete out and get on the you know, the right. show and talk about what it was like. Um, but um, uh, it, so it looks like it's going to roll over to next year. Okay. Uh, among my clients and, and one of my favorites, a great guy, uh, Doug Kitlaus, who is the co-creator of Apple Siri. The uh, voice oh, yeah. uh, recognition uh, software, and and we've gone out. Oh gosh, two or three times, and uh, it, it's fun because he'll talk to me about technology, and I'm talking about the weather, and <laughs> he's just a great guy. And and I hope I get to do more of that. Yeah. I, I really enjoy taking people out who never uh, get to see these phenomena otherwise. Sounds wonderful. Sounds like a live show we can do here. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'd right. be kind of fun. <laughs> we can, uh, <laughs> I'm serious. We could, especially if next year's my last year uh, in in terms of real activity, because I'm I'm planning on taking out some other people that uh, I don't want to get into now, but yeah. aren't necessarily celebrities, but they might be somebody you know who lost uh, a daughter ten years ago uh, and has stayed in touch with me because she wanted to be a meteorologist. Now right. the mom wants to go out, things like that, and that's where I'm going to try to pay it back. You know, there's a lot of um, life-altering f events that you're covering, and and there's a lot of human suffering that gets involved. I mean, and and I'm sure that I know you've you've covered, you know, the the damage. Uh, does does that affect you? Is that I mean, is seeing what these weather incidents do to people? Um, we get thirty second snippets on you know online, but you're there and you're seeing it and feeling I mean, it and smelling. Does, does it change the way you photograph these things? Does it does it does the the human aspect of it uh, come into play a lot? Yeah. I mean, I was diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, back in um, 2007. And I, I talked about it with a therapist off mm -hmm. and on. And it helped. Helped a lot. Yeah. Um, as you might imagine, 
once I started shooting uh, the aftermaths for especially editorial clients, um, I mean, I, I think I've done like 18 or 19 hurricanes, um, lots of tornado aftermaths, but also uh, aftermaths of ice storms and floods. And I'm around a lot of people that have just lost their their belongings. Their lives have changed uh, substantially. And and I try to do what I can to talk with them, listen mostly, and be there for them. And you'd be surprised, but but a number of them will say, hey, whatever you just took pictures of, can you send me a copy? And I always do for free, and, and even if it's years later. Um, but I also absorb that. And uh, I think it was Sebastian Younger that said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but it, it, even if you think you're going to die, that's not the worst part of the trauma. It's, it's, it's feeling the, the energy and the despair of those around you. Mm-hmm. And that has been the hardest part for me. And I began dreaming about it. And the, the post-traumatic stress disorder set in. So uh, I'm still being treated for that. Mm-hmm. That'll give you an idea how powerful it is. So I'd like to give your listeners a heads up that if they storm chase and they get on these aftermaths, uh, not to be you know shy, if they see something that, that bothers them a year or two later, I, I really hope they'll talk to somebody about it because it, 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 it has saved me. Hmm. Well, thank you for mentioning that. Tim. Yeah, that's, thanks. That's, that's important. A, that's a good yeah. share. Thank yeah. you very, very much. That I think that's a good reality check. And again, it's not just uh, you know driving around in a van going Yahoo. We got the picture. There's realities to this too. And I think that's important for people to understand because all this drama is it's it's exciting to us, but it's reality to other people. And as you mentioned, some people literally lose everything, including loved ones. Uh, and it can't be taken lightly. Yep. Uh, if people want to see your work, uh, websites, Instagram, where should they be going to? If your listeners would like to see more of my work, they can do so at uh, jimreadphoto.com. I'm at uh, Instagram, jimreadphoto, Facebook, jimreadphoto, uh, Twitter, jimreadphoto. And I post different things to different uh, platforms. So uh, I'd love to have them combine. take a look. That Fantastic. sounds great. Uh, Jim, it's been really good talking to you. Very informative. Uh, learned more than a few things here. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic, and uh, you cover it well. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the BH Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photo Podcast. Okay, we are back from a break. Jordan Cantello is an award-winning Western Australian landscape photographer who has a strong passion for chasing thunderstorms and creating impactful photographs of Mother Nature as she goes around throwing some of her most electrifying atmospheric hissy fits. Um, When not chasing storms, Jordan is a Western Australian fire officer, and he is also the 2018 Western Australian Nature Professional Photographer of the Year. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thank you very much. That's quite an intro. Thank you. <laughs> hey, listen. Okay. So um, you literally work on the other side of the planet uh, from us. Uh, how is Australian weather and particularly the Australian extreme weather unique uh, compared to what we have here in the States? Um, well, I think uniquely, um, you know, we've got a, it's quite a large continent. It's not, not too different really from the States um, in regards to the size Um you know, up to our north, we've got our big tropical storms that sort of happen up in, the, in our summertime. 
um, in your winter there. And, um, you know, we can have some tropical cyclones that sort of impact the northern part of the country. And um, conversely, you know, that's sort of we get west coast troughs down the western um, western coast of Western Australia. And um, that's where I'm based. And uh, we just have some some spectacular storms that come through this way, through the Gascoyne regions and and uh, Midwest regions of Western Australia. And um, I'm out there chasing that. So I don't think there's anything really too different to the extreme weather. I think the state's probably, um, I think in the last 24 hours, 48 hours uh, from talking to you guys, they've had some pretty severe stuff. So yeah, we're, um, count, we're counting 52 storms in eight states, and Oklahoma is under emergency watch right now. So that's where we are at the moment as we're recording here. And, and that's crazy. You, and that's something that's that's totally unheard of for us here in Australia. Um, on that scale, we don't get that. Um, you know, it's we get some pretty severe stuff, but to have 52 storms, <laughs> that, that's massive. That's massive. <laughs> and do you guys have what we call tornadoes? I mean, you said cyclones, but that sounded like something that might have came off the sea. Or do you have the... Yeah, it's the same thing, yeah. is it, or is it not? No, no, not the same thing. So the cyclones are more so more broad scale, um, very similar to... Oh, it's the same thing as your hurricanes. Yeah, um, that's right. Okay, down, yes. Down so there's the same thing, um, just called different different things, different terminology, different parts of the world as typhoons through mm-hmm. Southeast Asia. Um, so the same sort of deal. Well, the tornado's a bit more that concentrated winds, more destructive in that localized area. And... Yeah. Um, you tend to hear about them a bit more on those on that side of things because of the destruction that they can cause, you know, unfortunately. Um, but, but you, I mean, but you they, don't they see do. much of those, do you? Um, well, we don't. We don't have the the population as the states do in other parts of the world. So um, they have been documented here, but um, we just don't have the frequency of people, like the amount of people in the concentrations that you do for them to be recorded. And and for me, I've, I've actually never seen one here hmm. in. Uh, in WA, um, yeah. I've seen video of them over east, but um, yeah, certainly not to the frequency of you guys. I mean, I don't know what the stats are for the states, but I think um, I think they average here. I don't know, forty or fifty, and they're, and they're only really tiny. They're yeah. not really big ones. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So yeah. we're entering our storm season right now. Are you in the same position right now, or are you leaving yours because you're on the opposite side of the planet? I don't know how things balance out. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're just finishing ours. Um, so we're about probably oh, two months or so outside of ours um, at the moment in my part of the country. Um, so we're into our into our winter pattern now. So we're getting our cold fronts coming through, um, which aren't you know we do get thunderstorms through there, but they're relatively fast moving and come through with a burst of rain, and then we get a bit of cold weather afterwards. Um, by cold weather, I mean it's still only twenty degrees, which is uh, Celsius for us, which I'm not sure what it is for you guys. I'm not too good on the conversions. It's comfortable. It's it's cooler, um, you know. Whereas in us in our summertime, we can push up to forty degrees um, in our you know, middle of January, February sort of time. So um, yes, we're we're just about to finish off ours, and I'm off my quiet time and doing our prescribed burning with my job. So um, it's nice and quiet at the moment, which is good. Well, I, I want to get back to it, your job. You're a fire officer for the Western Australian government. What exactly do you do? Um. So at the moment, um. You know, throughout the year in the summertime, um, I'm part of a team here in in Durian Bay and a part of a collective team, I guess, in the state that um, that go and uh, suppress wildfire, I guess, throughout the state, uh, throughout the country. So um, you are a firefighter, handle. actually. Yeah, well, my title is a fire officer. Um, so a firefighter, I guess you could say in a broad sense, um, where I go out and we sort of manage our fuels that our department looks after across the um, across the state here. So... Um, in the summertime, we do suppression, and then in the wintertime, we do fire mitigation work. So 
uh, will be there doing fuel reduction burns and prescribed burning to reduce the effect of wildfire in the summertime. Hmm. So we're about to kick off now into our prescribed burning. Yeah, interesting. Well, so you're basically out in the field, you know, all the time for your work, and uh, I imagine it's necessary to be keeping an eye on the weather for your work. And is that how uh, the interest in in photography and uh, well, landscape photography and, and storm photography came about, or was that something that that preceded uh, your firework? Yeah, it's it's funny how it sort of evolved. Um, I guess in the early two thousands, uh, when I was just finishing high school. Um, I had a, a certain interest in photography and I was fortunate enough to go overseas early enough and I, that's where the interest of photography came in because I got to see you know, a part of the world I've never been able to see before you know, in the European sort of area in the Alps in France and I had my sort of camera out that way and was able to take some amazing photos there and um, that sort of sparked the interest in photography, in landscape photography um, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming back in my job, um, that sort of in the fire sort of scheme of things, um, you know, we get a weather briefing all the time and that sort of sparked my interest in in the weather and being out in the field quite a bit and um, being in this job and being out in the field, I got to see larger thunderstorms and I thought, wow, this is this is pretty cool. And I was able to merge, you know, my photography love and, and my, my then developing love of um, meteorology, I guess, at the stage um, together and, you know, it's blossomed since then, really. Um, I sort of search for days off in the summertime when I can, mm-hmm. when I'm not on roster. And if they line up with a severe weather day, um, then I'm able to get out and about, then, um, then I'm, I'm all happy. I'm very happy. <laughs> you have a unique uh, uh, vantage point compared to most other storm chasers. That you kind of have inside trading information. <laughs> it's like you're <laughs> in touch with everybody. It's like you get to, like a little bit of an edge before everybody else. That's kind of a very cool position to be in where your, your line of work and your line of interest, your, your personal interest – all meshes together into like, a, I hate to use the word, a perfect storm, but you really yeah. are. I mean, you've got the latest information about what's going on. you got heads up and you got, you're there and you've got your gear with you. Yeah, yeah. We've all, with, with work, I don't take my gear with to work, so to speak, um, but I certainly um, am able to get some uh, information from the Bureau, maybe a little bit more in depth than others, uh, which sort of help, um, you know, with my sort of predictions and stuff. But that information that I get from, the Bureau of Meteorology is freely available to anyone else. We just get a daily weather briefing that really that anyone else could really get. Um, we just get a little bit more detailed information than probably the normal person from the public. And what would strike, you know, if you're checking out the weather brief, what's going to what's gonna pique your interest and, and think to yourself, okay, you know, this is a day that I really want to go go out and shoot. Yeah, or, what are your flags? Yeah, what, do you, what criteria do you look for? My flag. So um, we've got a, a, a weather sort of system in Western Australia called the um, West Coast Trough that happens in the summertime. So um, I try to line up, oh, not line up, my days are, you know, um, sort of set up on days off, you know, scheduled days off throughout the summertime. Mm-hmm. But if those days line up with um, like a weather event coming through with the West Coast Trough, um, we get this tropical air coming down, streaming down the West Coast of Western Australia. And then once that starts moving across inland, um, it starts firing up thunderstorms off that trough line, very similar to what happens in the States, mm-hmm. um, just obviously in a different part of the world. So once those things line up and I'm off call and I'm, I don't need to be in the office and I can have my days off, um, if they line up and all the elements are there and all the ingredients come together, then, um, yeah, sometimes I'll drive 
a thousand kilometers away from home so I can go sit out there for a couple of days and, and, and experience it really. Mm. And then you'll go out, do you, do you camp? Do you get a, like a, a motel room uh, and just make <laughs> it, make it, you know, pick your spots for the day and, and hope for the best or are you out there actually in a car chasing? Yeah, in a car chasing. Um, we don't have the luxury of really having hotels and motels. Um, <laughs> that, that, that there is, you know, it's two or three hours between towns mm. in some places here and, um, and more. So, um, it's usually a swag or just fold back the seat in my car and, and fall asleep there. So, um, you know, rest is, is a big thing. Obviously, the big distances that we have here in Western Australia. So I, I take many rest breaks. But, um, yeah, if I need to drive eight or nine hours to get to a spot uh, by a particular time, then I'll, then I'll have to do it. Well, all right. That's, you know, one of the things that always gets me about storm uh, chasing um, is that there are a lot of kind of – there are a lot of genre of photography that – can be dangerous and that are risky, but you usually know where the edge of the track is and you know and where the fence is, and you know how close you. In other words, even with an oncoming train, if you know what you're doing, you can get pretty yeah. close without getting hit by the train. What kind of precautions do you take, and and at what point do you say, okay, it really is time to get out of here? Yeah, it's it's a funny thing. It's a you know those storms like they are they are unpredictable. Um, you know they can develop up. Um, much bigger than what they're forecast to, and then conversely, they can absolutely disappear in, in a matter of moments. And then you think, what happened there? Um, you know, as a storm stormtrooper and a person with a great interest, I do sometimes probably push the edge a little bit to get as close as I can to get that shot. But you kind of—it's it, a hard thing to say. Like you, you kind of have that sixth sense, I guess, kicks in and think, "Hang on," you know, that little voice in your head goes, "Probably, probably not good to be here," and you have that sort of escape route planning so that comes into that safety aspect always thinking about where i've come from knowing the area that you're chasing so you know where the low-lying areas if there was a flash flood or if there was some um large hail coming down where was where was where can i get to to get out of that position to get out of that particular part of danger um i think that's probably the main sort of things i look out for um and doing you know looking at the severe weather the bureau are pretty good at predicting severe weather in western australia and we get those daily briefs, and they're pretty good at um, at you know identifying those areas um, where they will attract me to them. But you know you have to be you have to be safe as well. You know there's a certain element of risk at everything that you do, and storm chasing has got a high, probably a raised element of risk to it. But I mean the results that you can get um, are pretty awesome as well. But you have to think about your safety. I mean I've got a wife and two kids, and I don't want to be you know risking it too much. What, your, what gives you the biggest fear? Is it lightning? Is it the uh, um, uh, the funnel clouds, uh, flooding, hail, flooding? Yeah. Yeah, there, there are a lot of things that could ruin your day. What, what do you have the most respect for or fear of? Yeah, I, I guess that it's those um, the lightning bolts because they're the ones, you know, with hail you can sort of see and hear that coming. You can see the rain coming and you know when it's getting heavier um, and you can avoid those sort of areas. But, I mean, lightning is, is totally unpredictable um, in certain areas areas of a storm um some people might argue with this but you get a bit of an idea especially with a slow moving storm you can see relatively where this brought where the bolts are going to happen in a certain area but you don't know when it's going to happen um so that's the biggest thing so you've got a big skyrocketing thunderstorm with bolts of the blue that's what they call sometimes where a bolt of lightning can hit out 20 kilometers or so away from a storm mm -hmm. um you've got to be cautious of that and that that's the heightened um, probably risk that is there, and that's the thing I'm looking out for. Um, if I'm inside that strike zone, you're, you're absolutely at risk of getting struck. Um, you know, I'll be the first to admit that. 
But, um, you know, I tried to minimize my amount of time in there. And that probably shows my photos as well. They're not super close, but they're close enough to get, you know, an effect and um, to capture what I'm trying to capture. So that leads me to my next question is that you have to be literally on your toes and as alert as one can possibly be when working in these uh, environments. And you're also working in medium format, which while it gives you more detail and depth and, and, and dynamic range, is also a much slower format. It seems to me that when you're out there trying to capture storms, you want to have as much speed and flexibility as you can get, whereas medium format, the way I see it, is the antithesis of that. What's your approach? How come you're sticking with medium format? Aside from the fact that you're getting amazing image detail. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the draw card is is the image detail that you get from it and the dynamic range and you know the information I can pull from a medium format um, camera is insane. You know, from a digital SLR. So saying that, you know, you got cameras like Nikon D850 that are coming out now that are rivaling probably what the 645 and um, other other cameras are coming pretty close. Um, what are you shooting having, with, by the way? Which equipment are you using? I've got a Pentax 645Z. Okay. At the moment, so um, that medium format with a twenty-eight forty-five mil is my um, go-to lens, and that in the fifty-five. Mm-hmm. Um, so using that camera, and I totally agree with you. You know, it, it's a slow system. Um, it's only three frames per second, but to sit it up and get it going, and to set your focus, and you've got to be so particular with your focus with a high megapixel camera, um, as well as uh, medium format because it's so fine. Um, you have to be very careful. So. Um, if you're not particular with it, you can stuff it up and stuff up your day. Um, you can stuff up that particular shot until you move to the next site and set up. Um, I've seriously considered about going away from medium format because it is a slow system, but the results speak for themselves. I mean, you can see with my photos and other cameras, sorry, other photographers that have taken photos with medium format that the images are just that, I, th- I think, they're that next level. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to get that with a slower system. Mm. Um, having said that, if I was able to get a D850 or something like that to shoot with in a time-lapse way, I probably would do that straight away because it's a quick system. It's set it up nice and quickly, and it's digital SLR. You know, it's it's the go-to system for most people. Mm. And what are your general settings? I mean, obviously, they'll change with, with the light. And, but if you're shooting lightning or if your goal is to get, you know, uh, this beautiful cloud with, with some storms and, and, and lightning, what are your, uh, your ISO settings? What do you usually set for shutter speed, et cetera? Yeah, so um, I tend to try to shoot. I mean, I can shoot pretty much all time of the day, but I'll get into my equipment, what I use. I use a third-party, um, like a, a lightning trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can set up my settings. So my settings throughout the day is usually ISO 100, obviously for better uh, clarity with the image and less noise. Right. It's the best setting. Um, your speed is probably less than 1 60th of a second with a neutral density filter. Um, and then you'll stop anywhere from about f6.3 up to f9, I guess you could say, during the daytime. Um, and then it, in, as the evening goes on, you've got to adjust those settings, obviously, with the changing light. Um, you know, I can probably push up to uh, probably about f16 sometimes with the really close lightning bolts. If they're further away, I'll drop it down to about f5, was it 5.7, was it 5, 6.3, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go to, um, and I won't go anything less than that, usually 6.3. That's actually pretty um, wide for medium format. It sounds like a smaller aperture, but it's not. No, no, it's not. It's like it's comparable not. to like 2.8 or 2.8 and a half. So that's pretty wide. Yeah, yeah. 
it's pretty it's pretty wide. It is pretty wide, and it's you know it it works pretty well for what I need to do. Um, but again, with the lightning as it gets closer, um, I can I, I can close that right up to like f sixteen. So you don't you don't risk it blowing out those bolts where you know the dynamic range of a six or five is great. It's not that great if you completely blow out your image. You're still going to ruin your shot. So um, you know f sixteen is great um, for close bolts, and then I have that trigger. Um, you know. Can you talk a bit about the, yeah? Talk about well, we'll mention the brand if you don't mind, and also talk a little bit about how you you set it up and and work it. Yeah, sure thing. So I use a MyOps trigger, a MyOps Smart trigger. Um, um, I've got one of those that sits on top of my camera on the hot shoe, and it's just tethered through a cord uh, specific for my camera type. Um, that particular brand will send out if you've got one. I've got one for my Canon as well, and they'll send out a cord for that. So that just sits up there, and it essentially is, um, you know, a lightning strike will happen in, you know, a blink of an eye, you know, a thirtieth of a second, a tenth of a second, really quick. Um, and it's just too quick for you unless you've got a, a longer shutter speed, you know, during the evening or nighttime. You can't physically transfer that information from your eyes to your brain to your finger, and then the lightning bolt's gone, so you've missed the shot. So essentially, what this trigger is, is a um, electronic finger. So it looks at the lightning strike, registers it, triggers your camera. Um, and then what settings you got on there? It'll take the photo at those settings, and if you're in luck, you've got a photo captured on your um, on your memory card. <laughs> Is it safe to assume that some of these lightning strikes actually are faster than the trigger could uh, register them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's no trigger I believe in the world that can get every single lightning strike. I mean, I think that's near on impossible. There's some that just goes super quick. The camera might trigger, but it's just too late. Are these TTL um, by the way, or are these things just reading an ambient flash? Just reading an ambient flash. Ah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. And would you say, I mean, can you kind of put a number on if, if you're shooting, you know, three frames per second? Uh, well, first yep. of all, do, will, will the uh, lightning trigger work with the, in a burst mode on the medium format and get, give you three shots in a heartbeat or, uh, or uh, it's one no, at a time? Not really. No, not with mine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, three seconds is, is probably a bit too slow. If there's one decent strike, um, you know, in the evening where I can open the shutter a little bit, um, then I'll capture the whole thing. But during the daytime, it is a little bit of hit and miss, especially with medium format. Um, it's more so when the ambient light starts to die down that I'm more active. And, I mean, that's not a bad thing either. You know, they're more spectacular during that golden hour, aren't they? So, um, you know, during the daytime, it's great where I can capture the structure and stuff. But um, in that afternoon sort of evening light as you push into the, into the nighttime, um, that's where they're more spectacular. And I can open the shutter a little bit. And it's certainly more, um, more the high strike rate of capturing those lightning strikes, certainly more during the daytime. Many of your images are, you know, the foreground is relatively flat. You're, uh, you're looking over like a, a, you know, a flat field or a body of water. And uh, yep. well, first of all, how is that in the safety aspect? Because you're, you're, if you are in these really flat lands, lightning can be even riskier. For you, you are for the yourself. lightning rod. Yeah, you're the lightning rod. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and and, oh. other, and otherwise, is that? Are, what are you generally looking at when you're composing? Are you looking at at the the bulk of the cloud itself to try to? put that into a certain aspect of the composition in a way, or is it where the lightning bolt will be? Uh, and, and also, do you look for certain structures in the landscape to try to get them into the foreground when possible? Yeah, on, on the first point there in regards to um, being the lightning conductor, um, I think that's just welcome to Western Australia. It's such yeah. a flat place. Um, trying to find anywhere of, of um, you know, that's, that's stunning, especially out in that wheat belt sort of area. It's fairly flat paddock sort of country, not too different probably from your Great Plains. So in regards to composition, um, you're probably looking at, you know, wind, wind, um, windmills, um, silos, houses, mm -hmm. um, you know, even power poles, 
the way that the paddocks are run, you know, where the graders and, um, you know, the farm machinery run lines through their paddocks, um, that can sort of add into like a leading line right. uh, to a lightning strike. And if it strikes at the end of that leading line, then fantastic, that's great. But, um, uh, you know, other things, um, I took a shot out near Calabaran, um, which is east of Perth, a few hours. And there was a few emus I had in my foreground, you know, and that's just happened <laughs> out of the blue. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it. But um, so that sort of happened. Um, but majorly, what I'm looking for is not sort of foreground features because I'm I'm there for the for the size of the thunderstorm and right. capturing the essence of this of the cloud and how big it is. And if I can put a little tree or a little silo in the in the in the fore, oh, sorry in the background and able to gain that sort of size of scale of the storm, then that's what I'm trying to capture. And if I can capture it and people see that, then that and that's great. That's How nice. much manipulation do you do uh, to uh, um, sort of pump the mood of the final image? Uh, there's one shot, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's sort of a double rainbow, and you have these little trees in a meadow, and the light is sort of centered around the trees. That was obviously yep. manipulated. Do you? And, and it looks good. I have no problem with that. Is that something yeah. you tend to do regularly? Um, or manipulation? I guess that's that's a. It's a broad sense, I guess. Let's, let's call it post-editing. How's that? Post-editing. <laughs> yeah, <that's probably. laughs> um, yeah, it's like there's no secret. Um, you know, I, I do a bit of post-production in my images and to bring out the detail, but everything that's there is is there. Um, I don't put anything in the, my images. I, I don't take – I take things out, you know, like dust spots and, you know, if there's areas of like a stone that I don't like, I'll take that out as like any professional photographer would. But um, in regards to manipulation, um, you know, I'll put I'll boost my contrast right up to really get the essence of that of that storm cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll bring in change my levels, change my curves, you know, really boost that contrast right up, and then really try to hunt that detail, every little bit of detail where the six four five medium format files really do come out there. I want to actually jump back quick to the medium format question because I imagine when you were traveling, you know, as you mentioned, when you were a younger man, you were not using a medium format camera, right? You you had a thirty five millimeter or or even a some kind of point and shoot. When did you make the yeah. transition, and and was it something that you like? You know, I really want to to be able to bring out these details in in, in these clouds. I, I have to go medium format, or was did you just stumble across it? How'd that come about? Yeah, it's a funny thing how it sort of happened. Um, I kind of stumbled into it. I had a couple of mates um, and I was sort of getting into a bit of aerial photography shoot, shooting out of aircraft and um, to get the detail that I was shooting there with the medium format, um, it just seemed to be I could get punchier images um, and it just seemed like the natural progression for myself um, to go to medium format there and then to be able to see that, um, to gain, able to get that extra detail from my storm photography, you know, that complemented each other there and I thought, wow, what a fantastic system this is and um Look, as much as I love my digital SLRs, the medium format system um, is, is fantastic and I'm able to pull out that extra little bit of detail. Did you have a chance to try it before you bought it or did you just go ahead and go all in? No, no, definitely not. It's not a it's not a small investment and my mm. wife would have killed me if I'd done that. But, um, You're I not supposed to tell your wives about these things. <laughs> yeah, never yeah, no, do no. that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for coming now. You should have told me that before. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, look, I was able to test it out a couple of times and bring it out into the field and thought, you know, whether this system is going to be great for me. I knew it was really good in the aircraft, um, but if I was going to really commit to this, um, I really needed to know if it was going to work out in the field and capturing these storms. And the big thing about um, the 645, I did look at other systems 
But again, it's a, a massive financial undertaking to yeah. go anything bigger. Um, a good thing about the the Pentax is that it, it's not too different from a digital SLR, how it's set up. It is a big camera um, and it's all weather sealed. So, you know, that just is music to my ears when, um, you know, it's not too often that it's going to be super calm where I am at. You know, there's going to be dust and there's going to be rain and Sometimes, you know, it's going to be a little bit heavy and I can leave my camera out for a little bit longer mm-hmm. than have what you, I would. You have left it out in the rain a bit? I mean, it's gotten wet, I imagine, but... Uh, yeah, have yeah, you, yeah, it's been... Have right. you pushed and it? it? I've pushed it massively, yeah, <laughs> and it's it, it's come out amazing. Luke, I, I took it up to the Kimberley, up into our tropic areas um, in 2017 in December and chased the storms and stuff up there, or what we call it is a tropical build-up. And um, it is humid, you know, it's 85, yeah. 85% humidity, you know, 40 degree days and it's horrendous. And, um, the camera stood up. It was fantastic. So you know, pe- people think of medium format, they automatically think about uh, Hasselblad and, and Fujifilm. But truth of the matter is Pentax, you get a, a lot of camera for your money and, yeah. and the image quality is really, really nice. Um, one yeah. question I've been, uh, I want to get back to, uh, do you hand hold your stuff? Do you work on a tripod? How do you usually work? No, no, definitely not. Um, so I do always use a tripod. Um, if, it, if it's a quick shot that I just want of some structure, then um, if it's light enough, then definitely I'll, I'll just do a handheld and I'll get going and moving to my next spot. But um, I'd say 99% of the time it's sitting on top of a tripod. Um, so I'm using an enduro uh, tripod um, and then another enduro ball head on top of that. Um, so that, that works out really well. And, you, and it's a fairly solid one uh, as well. So it's, it's fairly heavy. Or sometimes hang a bag underneath it when the winds are really strong. But you know the camera itself is you know one and a half kilos or something ridiculous. I don't know the exact figure, but it's um you know it can hold this held its own really in those strong winds and hold the tripod right down. Yeah, it's really good. Do you use a shade on your lens? And the reason why I ask is I know that uh, I've worked in heavy windy conditions before, and sometimes the shade could be an enemy to you because it just it yeah. makes everything just buff it like crazy. Do you have a oh, rule? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I tend to I tend to use a shade um, there just because it's um, you know with the rain it, it gives it just a little extra bit of protection from yeah, the rain. Yeah. If it is too windy where I get too much shake, then it's probably too windy to get any good images anyway. I think with me, um, unless if it's super windy, then I might just bring the camera, you know, spread out the um, the tripod legs a little bit and hang a heavier camera on there and get it really low to sort of even out that center of gravity so it's not so high. Um, but other than that, it's, if it's, if it's getting too windy like that, I'm usually packed in the car and trying to get out of the wind and get ahead of it. <laughs> now, now, now let's, let's, let's be honest now. You're in the car, but you're still rolling down the window sometimes and sticking the lens out, just saying, oh, just one more shot. I mean, do you, do you shoot from the car at all? Yeah, absolutely. Any storm chaser says they don't is lying. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but how how are your general days? I mean, well, you'll obviously a car is an important tool for you, so you're going to be out. You know, you're going to drive. You're going to find the spot that you think is the best. Or, or, or is the land there open enough and empty enough that you can kind of just drive out to spots that are, are off the road? And uh, and then when you do that, will you just kind of hang out for a couple hours, or are you always on the go? Yeah, no, it, it's it's funny. Different different setups mean different things. So if it's if it's going to be a slow moving day, then you know a Google. I mean, I use Google Maps like it's like it's my best friend. You know, it's mm-hmm. amazing that system that you can use there and get on there and have a look around and scout locations beforehand and see what the road conditions are like. Um, but nothing really uh, compares and actually going out and having a look around. So this time of year, um, I can get out there and take the family out and go for a bit of a drive around. Um, you know, the wheat belt and 
do a bit of a family trip. But, you know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking I'm scouting around for my storm chasing, really. I'm right. having a bit of a look. Yeah. <laughs> Are you watching Checking weather right. maps? Uh, I, I mean, because all, all this technology is readily available. When you're out there, I mean, are you just using your eyes and watching the horizon or are you also watching weather maps? Uh, no, weather maps, you know, if you've got the technology, definitely use it. Um, it's We've got some pretty good radar coverage here now in Western Australia with Doppler radar. So um, where I've got uh, phone reception, um, I'll definitely be u- utilizing that and making sure whether I'm in the right location to um, to capture the image that I want. But, you know, also for safety side of things, if I can see on the radar that it's really ramping up, where can I go to not be in direct danger of um, being impacted by the core of a thunderstorm? What are some of the things that you look for, some of the visual keys when you're out there scanning the skies? What are some of the signs that you look for that something could be developing? Um, I guess I mean, you see those classical thunderstorms or classic thunderstorm photos, you know, with the big layered pancakes that, you know, can skyrocket up to, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 feet up in the air. Um, there's sort of visual clues and there's sort of things I'm looking for, you know, that structure, that's the thing that attracts me to these storms. Um, and I, I guess that's probably the main thing is, is the structure of thunderstorms is, um, is my main cue to any of these systems. So if it starts sort of ramping up, you get sort of, um, some warm sort of air, um, coming into the thunderstorm from either way, south, east, west, north. Um, you know, they're, they're the sort of things I'm looking for and that's feeding that thunderstorm is going to keep it going and develop into potentially a supercell thunderstorm, which um, all storm chasers are looking after because they're the ones that are more photogenic and produce the more lightning and the more sort of visually spectacular sort of side of things instead of those single cell sort of uh, singular thunderstorms. And what what's the best uh, uh, lighting position? Do you prefer backlit storm, side, frontlit, or is there real no rule about that? Um, no real rule about it. It's, it's depending what exactly what you're after. For me, um, I try to be, um, in Western Australia, um, on the Southeastern side of the storms, our storms tend to travel Northwest, Southeast here. Um, generally, um, sometimes you have something different that will happen and you've got to get yourself into a better position. But I try to be on the Western side of a thunderstorm, um, in the, in the evening because you're going to get the sunlight and it's going to be penetrating the cloud and you get that spectacular golden, you know, yellows and pinks and fluorescent lightning. And that's when you get the really spectacular images. Plus you're kind of out of the way of the direction of the storm. So it can swing past you or you can just be on the Southern flank of it. And um, you're kind of out of harm's way um, to a certain degree. Hmm. I say that loosely as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Alan mentioned maps, but do you, are there any particular apps that you use when you're, uh, when you're tracking storms? Yeah, so in um, a bit different to the states up there. So we've got um, you know, like a weather zone app here um, mm-hmm. that we can use, um, the Bureau of Meteorology. Um, there's a, a windy app. I think you guys can use that as well that uh, draws in a, sh- a heap of information um, from different models around the world um, to develop forecast maps and u- using local radar. Um, so windy, I think, is something that's really come on board in the last 12 months that I've really utilised and it's phenomenally accurate. Um, it's It's incredible. Um, so I tend to use that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just drawing on my experience from seeing, um, you know, reading synoptic charts and different weather maps and sort of localizing an area that I need to go to. Gotcha. I wanted to ask a question about, uh, well, about your images and, and do you, do you sell images? Do you, I mean, I noticed on your website that, you know, it, you can basically purchase a print, uh, from your site, uh, and we encourage our listeners to take a look, but, uh, do you generate income from your photography at this point? And, uh, is that becoming more of a business and, and how are you handling that end of it? 
Yeah, like the, it's always a nice thing when people are, think the images are nice enough and they purchase them. I think any photographer would agree with that. It's it's always nice, and you know I've been very fortunate where um you know I've, I've sold a couple here and there, and but it's certainly not to the extent where I can um you know leave my job and become a Peter Lick or something like that and open up you know a gallery anywhere. But right. um you know I, I sell a few images here and there and and um and able to sort of fund maybe a next storm chase or put some fuel in the car for the next storm chase. Right. Um, so it's just enough to keep the interest there, you know, added interest, I guess you could say. Yeah. You know, yeah. once this podcast goes live, that's all going to change. You understand that, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for like printing, do you print yourself or do you have to, are there labs do you need to go down to Perth or, or send your images down to Perth for prints and, and they send them back? How does that generally work? Yeah, so um, I generally use a pro lab in Perth. Um, a mate of mine, Paul Jarvis, I'll do a shout out for him at Perth Pro Lab in Perth. Um, he does all my images um, for state awards and national awards and for my commercial stuff. So um, if someone buys a print, it all goes to him and gets handled professionally. And um, yeah, he's well regarded in the state and across the country. So um, I sort of I go straight to him and always get a great result. Mm-hmm. Great. Jordan, anything you want to add? Any uh, any comments on your photography or, or your work or what do you have coming up? Anything along those lines? If you want to drop your website, you can do that too. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. No worries. Um, look, I, I'm just going to be continuing on focusing on my severe weather photography. Um, as I said, this sort of winter time now is a bit more quieter. Um, I'm heading into the Kimberley region um, in the end of the year uh, for a number of weeks to capture the build-up again up there. Um, and then you'll be able to follow me with that story and, um, you know, further trips on my Instagram is probably where I share most of my images and that's, you can just find me at Jordan Candlo, um, mm-hmm. on Instagram and then, um, just my website, jordancandlo.com and you can see my images and everything there. And that's C-A-N-T-E-L-O, Cantelo. Beautiful. That's the one. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Jordan. Okay, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us and uh, giving us uh, your insight into storm photography. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us, guys. All right. That is a wrap on another show. If you're not a subscriber to the BH Photography Podcast, how come? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and Spotify. You can always find us on the BH Explorer website. And in case you haven't stopped by yet, the BH Photography Podcast Facebook group, it's alive and thriving. Join us. And if anybody asks, tell them Al sent you. For now, on behalf of Jason, John, and myself, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.